I've been, I've been around church all my life. I've been in ministry for 32 years. I know that seems like a long time, and it is. Um, and so, but you know, you see different aspects when you, when you deal with ministry. You see different, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, emphases throughout the time when you're in ministry. Where some ministries, the idea is we get as many people there as possible. So, so we, we do what we can to get people there. Some ministries, you do just about everything you can do to run people off. Um, you know, and so you're finding that balance. But I think the reason for that is sometimes we get confused as to what is important. You know, it's important that people come to know Christ. There's no doubt about that. But when we focus solely on evangelism and leading people to Christ and seeing how many people we can get there and how many people we can do this, but we don't do anything with them, then we've birthed a lot of babies that we're not taking care of. But then we can go to the other extreme and say, well, we've got to get everybody mature in their faith and then we'll talk to people about the gospel. And so we never quite reach that maturity that we want, so we never talk to anybody about Christ. And this idea of being faithful and staying the course is both. That we're called upon to be in ministry. We're called upon to serve the Lord with all of our lives. Now, we get, again, this, this balance between... Uh, I remember growing up as a kid, and people would preach on the passage, you know, depart from me, I never knew you. And that was always used to manipulate crowds, I believe. Especially the way I saw it preached was, you know, you, you say you're a believer, you lied to your, your teacher this week, so we're going to make you really question that. <laughs> you know, you're, we're going to, you know, what if you stand before the Lord and he says, depart from me, I never knew you. You know, you, you sure you're saved. And then people get saved all over again. You know, or, or you see the other extreme of you pray to prayer, when you're eight years old and you're set and you're good and everything's okay, so we don't need to address the fact that we need to be, as Paul says in Corinthians, examining ourselves to see if we're in the faith. We don't need to, to, to live in fear all the time. If we have a relationship with Christ, Paul says in Romans that the Holy Spirit intercedes and, and works with our spirit to know that we're, we're believers. We know that we are, but there's times we need to question, am I doing what Christ has called me to do? And so these next few weeks, the next two weeks, we're looking at the book of Jonah. And then we're going to get into a series called Messed Up. That doesn't sound like fun one to come to, doesn't it? Um, so, so plan on being here the, the, the four, first four weeks of September especially because the Messed Up series is, is going to be a fun series. Um, and so I really, I really think as we begin to look at what is Christ calling us to do and, and what does that mean, we need to understand that it, it means that we don't flunk out on him. Doesn't mean we're perfect. Doesn't mean we always get it right. But it means we don't flunk out. We don't say, well, that was, that was a good run and I'm tired of it now and I want to do something different. And so as we look at uh, Jonah, I titled this message Rebel with a Cause. Because um, Jonah is one of these guys that, you know, we, we hear all kinds of stories about him. 
you know, and everybody knows, I mean, if you, you watch Jeopardy or anything like that, people know the story of Jonah. They don't know anything else about the Bible, but they know Jonah and the whale. And, you know, and so if nothing else, they remember it from, the, the, in their mind, they're picturing Geppetto in the middle of a whale, you know, for Pinocchio. And they kind of picture Jonah in the same kind of setting. Um, you know, Geppetto was, it, it was a comfort. You watch Pinocchio, Geppetto's life in the belly of that fish was comfortable compared to what Jonah really dealt with, you know. Um, but, and you hear different stories. I remember as a kid, I loved Jacques Cousteau. Those of you, those of you know, I wanted to be an oceanographer. I watched every Jacques Cousteau thing that came on TV. Now, those of you who are under 30, you have, you don't have the slightest idea who I'm talking about. <laughs> he was an old guy when I knew who he was. Um, he died 100 years ago, but he actually invented the scuba gear. He invented it back in the 30s or something, where you could actually use this gear to go underwater and look at things. So I used to love to watch. Well, he did a whole series on why he believed the giant grouper was what swallowed Jonah. He said a whale's throat cavity is too small, can't be a whale, but a grouper has a large enough throat capacity to swallow a human. Okay, so next time you're eating grouper, remember that. But, yeah. The issue isn't what kind of fish. Boy, I've heard pastors preach for weeks on the big fish that God created just to swallow Jonah. I don't know. You know, I don't know if it was a whale, a grouper, a shark. It doesn't really matter because that loses the whole point of the story. The story's not the fish. The story is what God's cause is and what God's purpose was for Jonah and how he responded to that. We also need to realize that this was not an analogy. Jesus says this, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. So if Jesus considered the story of Jonah a historical story, we need to consider the story of Jonah historical. We don't need to say, well, it was just a nice story to help people realize that if you disobey God, it might not go well for you. Well, it does teach that, but it's not really the issue here. It's not an analogy. It was a real Story. There was a real prophet named Jonah. If you read in 2 Samuel, it names him Jonah, the son of Amittai. So he was a, a, a person who really existed. Now, so what's the point as we look at this story of Jonah? Are we, do we need to walk in fear that when God asks us to do something and we disobey, he might have a fish swallow us? You know, I think there's some things we need to look at. First off, in 1 Corinthians, it says, now these things happened to them, talking about, and this passage is talking about the Jews coming out of Egypt, but these things happened to them as an example, but they were written for our instruction. Paul says in Romans, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. See, it's become popular to say, well, I'm a New Testament Believer, I don't study the Old Testament. Well, then you've left out a large section of the Scriptures for one thing. And reality is you can't understand about 85% of the New Testament 
without the Old Testament. There's no, there, why did Jesus have to die? Well, you have to go back to the Old Testament. You know, why, why did he stay three days and three nights in, in the ground? Go back to the Old Testament. So over and over again, we need to not become New Testament believers in the sense that we ignore what the Scriptures are teaching us in the Old Testament. Now, we need to be careful. We're not Jews, so there are some of the laws and different things that happen for the Jews that don't apply to us anymore. But we can still learn from those. We can still gain knowledge from that. So let's, let's look at the book of Jonah. Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 says this, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he, put the, he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. Now, you say, well, what's the big deal about going to Nineveh to, to share the gospel, to tell them that they need to repent? So let's put it in today's vernacular. Come here just a moment. All right? God's going to call this young man. Now, his dad's going to freak out in just a minute. Call this young man to get in a plane, fly to Afghanistan. Not with the military, but just by himself. Fly to Afghanistan. Find an ISIS training camp. And walk through the ISIS training camp, telling them to repent. That's what God's calling him to do. Do you want him to go? No. Okay. Do you want to go? No. Yeah. I mean, let's think about that. You know, there's a lot of things you have to overcome if God calls you to do that. You have to overcome fear, for one thing. I mean, these people may kill me. They're probably going to kill you. So what are you going to do? You have to overcome prejudice. I mean, let's be honest, and I don't want you to raise your hand in being honest, But let's be honest, how many of us really believe Jesus wants ISIS soldiers to come to know him? It's a lot easier to believe, let's wipe them off the map. It's a lot easier to believe, let's show them who's boss. But Jesus died for them just like he died for me and you. So we have to overcome our prejudice. We have to overcome our hatred. You know, we, we, bond, we bonded together in 2001 because they attacked the U.S. And we were all together. But we were all together in some ways for the wrong reason. Because I hate to say it, but there were a lot of people that day who didn't fly planes into buildings who died and went to hell. Not just the 19 guys who, who hijacked the planes. Because they didn't have a relationship with Christ. Now, the point here is not whether it's ISIS or whoever. The point is, as God calls us to serve him, sometimes he's going to call us to do something that seems totally nuts. To Jonah, this seemed nuts. Why am I going to go to Nineveh? You say, well... What's so bad about Nineveh? Well, let's read in the book of Nahum. You don't have to turn there because you'll never find it. Um, 
Nahum chapter 3 says this, Woe to the bloody city, all full of lies and plunder, no end to the prey. The crack of the whip and tumble of the wheel, galloping horse and bounding chariot, horsemen charging, flashing sword and glittering spear, host of slain, heaps of corpses, dead bodies without end. They stumble over the bodies. And all the, for the countless whorings of the prostitute, graceful and of deadly charms, who betrays nations with her whorings and peoples with her charms. That describes Nineveh. You're walking through Nineveh and you're having to climb over the dead bodies in Nineveh. Not a fun town to go to. So in some ways we go, hey, I don't blame Jonah for going the opposite way. And it's not even just that it's bad there and unsafe, but Nineveh had abused the Israelites terribly over the years. Nineveh is from the, from the country of Assyria, which came in and wiped out Israel. Was known to just slaughter people just for the fun of it. And so now Jonah is saying, I ain't going. I'm going to do anything I can to go the opposite way. And so we, we know the rest of the story. You know, Jonah goes and he, he pays the fare. He gets on the boat. He goes to sleep down in the bottom of the boat. Well, then a big storm comes up. And, and all the sailors who don't know Jesus, don't have a relationship with the God of the Old Testament, they're going, man, what is going on here? And so they cast lots to say, who needs to find out who, why, who's mad at us? And so they're going to kind of go around in a circle. You know, the lot falls to this guy. He says, well, I, I'm doing this, you know. And they go, well, that doesn't seem to be that bad. And Jonah says, well, I'm just going to let you know, the God of creation, the one who created the earth and the seas, told me to go do one thing, and I'm doing the opposite. And they're all going, hey, ding, 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 ding. You're the winner. You win. You're it. You know, you're the reason why we're going through this. They don't even know this God. But they know enough about this God to know you run from him and you go the opposite way, this isn't going to be good. And so they said, well, what, do we, what should we do? He says, well, just toss me in the ocean. They go, well, hold on, let's, let's figure out a different way. That doesn't seem like the best way. So they, they try to appease God and do all these things and then things just are still bad. So finally they go, okay. And they toss him over. They toss him over, the, it gets soft, it gets calm. And while he's floating there in the water, a big fish comes along and swallows him. Now, I don't know if they saw this happen. You know, I don't know if they see him get eaten or they just think, well, it's done. We threw him overboard and everything calmed down. We're okay. It really doesn't matter because the, the fish eating Jonah has nothing to do with those sailors. They don't learn anything from this. It, the, the, the story, the instruction is for Jonah. And the issue is, we're looking at God's heart. What is God's heart in this? Jonah's heart is, those Ninevites can burn for all I care. Those Ninevites deserve what they get. I don't want to go. I'm not going to go. But God's heartbeat is, those Ninevites who live this way, who have been killing people and doing all these different things. He's saying, my heartbeat is they come to know you. They come to know me. They, they, they have a relationship. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, 
Peter says this, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Now, we say that. We, we read that passage and we say, God loves everybody. Except. We don't wouldn't come out and say that verbally because we know that's not what we're supposed to say. But it's what we say in our hearts. God loves everybody except that person who really gets on my nerves. Except that person who treated me badly. Except that man who abused children. Except that man who abused his wife. Except that man who murdered a bunch of people. Except those guys who flew planes into buildings in 2001. It doesn't say that. It says God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Henry Blackaby said this, for every in-your-face sinner, there's in-your-face grace to cover it. You think about it. A few weeks ago, Matt Hayes shared here about Chuck Colson coming to know Christ. Now, I was old enough to remember that. Matt's not. Uh, Matt just read the story somewhere. <laughs> but I can remember when Chuck Colson came to know Christ. And my dad worked for the federal prison system. So Chuck Colson was sent to the federal prison system. And I can remember my dad saying, yeah, I'll believe it when I see it. You know, I've seen a lot of jailhouse conversions. And this is, yeah. He's just trying to get out of punishment. So that's why he's doing this. That was my dad's mentality. My dad didn't live long enough to see that Chuck Colson was real in his salvation experience. But the issue here is Chuck Colson was known as the hatchet man for Nixon. He was known to have zero conscience about doing things. He didn't care as long as it made him look good and everybody he worked for looked good and he could get a promotion because of it. It'd be easy for someone to say, everybody but Chuck Colson. But God changed his heart. God took the in-your-face sinner and his in-your-face grace covered it. A gentleman named Steve Camp had a song many years back. Now, he was talking more about people dying with AIDS at the time, but the issue is, he said, do you think they have gone too far? Do you think that somebody has gone too far and God's grace can't reach them anymore? We need to ask that question. Because there are people that we think, yeah, I think they've gone too far. I think there's just no way. People would have said that about Chuck Colson. People would have said that about Tex Watson who worked for Charles Manson and went in and murdered seven people in August of 1969 but gave his heart to the Lord and now serves the Lord in the prison where he's located in California. You know, it seems like some people have gone too far. Jonah would go, ah, them Ninevites have gone too far. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, let's look at Jonah's heart. Jonah chapter 2 says this. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, 
I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought up my life from the pit. O Lord, my God, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake the hope of steadfast love, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out, Upon the dry land. Doesn't that sound pretty? Um, you say, well, you know what? Jonah prayed. So, so God must be working in his heart. Did you read his prayer with me? There wasn't anything in Jonah's prayer about Nineveh. Wasn't anything in Jonah's prayer about, God, you're right. I need to go to the Ninevites. Jonah's prayer is self-focused. Jonah's prayer is, get me out of this fish. Jonah's prayer is, oh, you're right. I don't need to ignore you. I'm sorry. Get me, you know, deliver me from this. Jonah's prayer revealed his heart. Let's look at verses 8 and 9 again. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Sounds good, doesn't it? I'm going to offer thanksgiving praise. I'm going to be all excited about what you've done. What has God called Jonah to do? Go to Nineveh. He didn't call him to offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving. He didn't call him to come back to the temple and offer a sacrifice. He told him to go to Nineveh. So what's Jonah really saying here? I want you to read along with me. I know these things, when people do this, it gets real awkward because you don't know the timing and all that, but we're going to do it anyway. Um, The passage here. Oh, bring it up for the next one up. All right, I'll start us. You just kind of jump in with me. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Now, the context here, God told Saul, I want you to go to the Amalekites and I want you to wipe them all out. Everything, clean out, clean house. Their sin has come up before me. I want you to go wipe them out. So Saul went. He killed most of the Amalekites. He saved the king out. He saved all the good uh, sheep and the good goats, the good cows for himself. Brought them all back to, to Israel with him. You know, and so Samuel shows up and says, Hey, God says you're supposed to, to do this. Why didn't you do it? He said, Well, I did. I did kill everything. And Samuel says, well, how come I can hear sheep 
<laughs> over here in the background. You know, something's not quite right. Well, you know, I did, I did obey. You know, my heart was right. But the people really wanted to save these things out. So it's not, you know, the people kind of twisted my arm up behind my back and made me do it. And Sammy goes, no, 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 no. That's not what God told you to do. He said, well, we really, we brought all these back to sacrifice to our God. We want to honor him with this sacrifice. And that's when Samuel says to obey is better than sacrifice. That's what Jonah needs to understand. Jonah can get out of that fish and go back to Jerusalem and offer all the thanksgiving offerings he wants to offer, but to obey is better than to sacrifice. You say, well, we don't do that anymore. Yeah, we do. God's called me to do this, but I really don't want to do it, but I'm going to go to church more. Put a little bit more in the offering box just to kind of appease God, even though I'm not going to obey Him. I'm not going to do what He told me to do. But, you know, if I just sacrifice enough, and, and, and it'll be good. I'll be okay. People will see how nice I am, and God will be honored because I go to church a lot, and that church will be able to do more because I give more money, and, and, and I don't really like kids, but I, I gave a week to, to be in the kids' ministry. Man, no one I sacrificed, and wasn't that just, wasn't that just blessing of me to, to sacrifice like that? To obey is better than to sacrifice. You say, well, okay, well, Jonah didn't repent. Jonah didn't confess his sin. Then why does God still use Jonah? We know later on in the book, and we'll look at it next week, that God still uses him. Why does God still use him? Well, first off, there we go. God's grace is greater than our sin. Now, you say, well, that sounds good. It means I can do whatever I want and God will still use me. It's not what I'm saying. Because we'll see that Jonah needs to repent of his sin. But the point behind that is God doesn't have to have you be perfect before he'll use you. His grace is greater than your sin. And God's grace for Nineveh was greater than Jonah's rebellion. And God's going to do everything he can to eventually get Jonah there. So that the people of Nineveh will repent. As we'll see next week, Jonah never does. But the people of Nineveh do. But we don't rest in that, you know, well, God's grace. You know, we, we got to balance it. You've heard me say many times before, it's easier to go to, the, to an extreme than to be at the center of biblical tension. The extreme is, God will use me even if I'm a sinner. The other thing is, what you reap, you will sow. And we've got we to balance that out. We've got to realize that God doesn't justify our sin. God doesn't okay our sin. But he will use us sometimes anyway. His grace is greater than our sin. Also, God is the God of second chances. God gives Jonah another opportunity to be obedient. Now, Jonah is obedient, but Jonah's obedient because he doesn't really see much of an option. I mean, if you think about it, three days and three nights in the belly of a fish, he's probably been bleached, totally white. He's been floating around in gastric juices for three days. 
And whatever fish it is, it's going... And so those juices are just a sloshing. You know, think about the smell. Probably wasn't real pretty. Pitch dark. You know, not like he could... You know, and, and Pinocchio, he lights a candle. He holds it up so he can see. It doesn't work that way. Um, you know, so God gets his attention and God uses him anyway, even in the midst of his fighting against God. So do we want God to have to be the God of second chances that way with us? Or do we want to be obedient the first time when he first calls us? And we also need to understand that God's purpose will not be thwarted. God's purpose was that the people of Nineveh repent. And he was going to do whatever he needed to do to make that happen. So when Jonah decided to go to Tarshish, which would have been about a one-year boat ride the opposite direction of Nineveh. God said, no, I've got a different plan. You're not even going to make it. I don't know how long it was. It didn't say. But all of a sudden, he wasn't there long, I don't think, and there was a big storm, and uh, he, he gets tossed overboard. God's plan is going to be fulfilled. So what's God's plan? We well, said in Genesis chapter 12 that all the nations of the earth will be blessed because of what Christ has done. The message is going to get out. Are we going to be obedient? Or are we going to sacrifice? To obey is better than sacrifice. Let's pray.